0: Neil, thanks for joining us. I read you good? Very good, well. You good?
1: Yep, all good, thank you very much. It's Friday, good? it's quite funny. Yeah, end
0: of a long week. Yep. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 14th episode of The Six Sessions. Each week, I've been lucky enough to chat with somebody in the growth space across marketing, sales, and CX. And today's guest is gonna to talk to us uh, about creating tiny little communities to the tune of five million people. So every marketer out there has thought about how they use community as part of their growth strategy. Here's a guy that's done it at scale. These chats are designed to be short and sweet, but hopefully full of insight, but the short and sweet bit is a lie. You're probably in for at least 30 minutes, but it'll be full of insight. And it's definitely unfiltered, which is what makes it fun. Having been in the industry for north of 15 years now, today's guest is an acquisition superstar. He's one of those rarities in marketing, in the marketing world, a tangible, successful outcome even his parents can understand at the dinner table. And over the last uh, seven years, he's helped acquire and grow a community of five million people across two continents. That community is now helping brands launch and grow products and ultimately growing revenues at scale and at speed. Joining us all the way from the capital, I'm excited to close out this week with Neil Stevenson. Neil, welcome to The Six Sessions. Now tell us some clever shit about community-driven growth.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Richard. I don't know who wrote that intro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame Sam for that, probably. No, no, that um, was that
0: was me. He he gave me he gave me some tidbits, and he also told me to ask about the countdown teapot. But we'll ask about that in a bit.
1: Okay, right.
0: So, uh, so we're into month three of 2021. How's it started out
1: for you? Yeah, it's been good. Um, the we tend to have good uh, the start of our years is, is always good because. Um, we do quite a bit of paid advertising, and uh, paid advertising is is cheap in uh, in Q1, um, <laughs> so uh, it always starts out starts out good for us. But we've got um, like big expansion plans this year, so we're we're really ramping up our presence in the U.S. market, um, and that's that started well, and uh, and UK as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a good start to the year.
0: Well, how's it how's it been for like a a brick brand kind of breaking into u.s soil how have you found that like transition from a, from a marketer's perspective like how have you found is it like any difference in the marketing or processes or tactics
1: um well it's broadly similar to uk there's 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 some subtle differences um so you, you can't just directly copy and paste campaigns but you can certainly take the frameworks and do some you know subtle changes to things like i, I mean for a start the, the basics like changing mom to mom <laughs> and the uh, nappy to diaper and all those kind of things um but the, the the two markets behave fairly, fairly, fairly similarly. So we we can we can apply the same general tactics with some nuances to to both markets. Of course, when it comes to um, the, some of the some of the deals that we offer um, the parents, then it's, it can be different. In the UK, it tends to be one homogenous market, whereas in the US, you've got fifty different mini countries. You know, so like it's uh, it's, it's it's quite different in that respect how was how was 2020 for you guys interesting like for everyone i'm sure um it was i mean we, we being a digital digital companies that obviously less hit than, than most although some of our some of our partners are in the physical world so they some one or two big partners perhaps had to had to pause while they reconsidered them their own marketing efforts um for, for others they were um they were growing well so they continued on balance it was um it was fine it was probably slightly a slight negative but um but on balance could have been a whole whole lot worse we got through it that's the important thing and so so
0: everybody that's listening so what's what's your main business what does fan finders do
1: um i'm surprisingly bad at answering this question after like seven and a half years (laughs) aren't you the marketing (laughs) Um, guy uh, yeah <laughs> so we're, we're basically um, we act as a a middleman as a value exchange between um, brands who want to market their products to mums and and mums or dads, but mostly mums who want to um, who, who who want to get good deals, offers, discounts, competitions on on baby products. So we, we we act as middleman. Um, parents join our join our club and then they're presented with a a list of our offers from our brand partners and they can select which ones they want and um in in exchange for you know sharing their details with the with the brand then they get sent this offer or discount etc
0: oh, nice and what's your role within this mix like what do you do at fanfinders so
1: um i mean my title is uh, chief marketing officer um in, practice I kind of well I manage our marketing team so it's everything around my, my main function is making sure that we get enough members onto the site. We have two, two sides to the business getting enough members to claim these deals and the other side is the sales arm of things which is getting enough brands on board to provide the deals for these uh parents that were that were signing up. So my job is on the on that first side getting enough members to join our club.
0: What does your day to day look like as a CMO? Because like you and I have spoken in the past, and you always strike me as a, a marketer who like likes to at least keep your hand dirty, um, in the kind of
1: the doing. So like, what does your day to day look like as CMO? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when back in the day, that like in the first in the first year or two, I was just in basically in various ads manager platforms every, for ten hours a day every day, and that was the that was the good times. That's when I enjoy. <laughs> but um, now I have teams to manage, and uh, no, it's good. It's good. So I've got, um, I've got a good marketing team across various. Um, I've got like, affiliate marketing, content marketing, socials, SEO, uh, PR. So I've got, I've got good people underneath to who, who manage all those sides of the business. So I have to keep, I have to keep in touch with all of them and make sure that everything's going well in those. But also, I, I still get to. Mess around in Facebook as Manager and uh, and and do the 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 stuff that got me into this in the first place. So this is um so I
0: do a podcast with a guy called uh, Joe Glover. Um and this week we were talking about the difference between like experience based learning and uh, kind of education based learning for marketers in particular. And one of the questions that Joe asked me was. how do do I stay sharp or honed or keeping up to date with like marketing tactics, for example? So more about tactics rather than strategy, because I think it's very easy when you go to to a more senior role, it's very easy to be more like strategically led. How do you keep in touch with like the tactical side of marketing as you're kind of growing throughout your career?
1: I'm a member of a few really good, like smallish Slack communities who talk about all the latest like growth hacking methodologies and, and things like that and then also a few facebook groups which are like high level facebook media buyers um so the the kind of content that is in these groups and the discussions that we have in there are, are really really good so that's how i that's how i tend to keep my top of them and and these 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 guys are some, are some of the best in the world so like i feel like that definitely keeps me ahead of the curve
0: nice so uh you've been the driving force in growing a community of five million people how do you how did you do it how did how did you go from no people to Five million people that you can now sell engagement back to the brands and kind of help them shift product. Paid advertising.
1: Next question. <laughs> no, it's um it's a lot of uh, it's difficult when you're building a, a, a community on one side. It's it's, it's a two-sided coin because you, you have to be able to offer the community something. Um, so so it's 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 a very tricky thing to build a community on one side and then also to build the um the, the the brand side of things with things to offer the community so you can't you can't build a community if you haven't got anything to offer them and you can't get offers if you haven't got a community to market to so you kind of have to build both up gradually except you're gonna try and build up the community as, as cheaply as possible to get critical mass to be able to get these great deals from from these brands and then start to push them up gradually and then eventually you reach that breaking point and they're just both Sustainable enough, and and you can just grow them, grow them from there. But our on on our on the community side of things, a huge amount of the growth was done through um, paid advertising, because that's the most rapidly scalable um, way there is to get new users.
0: So, in the, in that extent, you're you're promoting the group, the the Facebook page or the group, or and kind of building it up that way through paid, rather than kind of funneling it out to landing
1: pages and things. Yeah, it's basically it's it's effectively just a classic um customer acquisition funnel so we we do direct response ads on facebook saying listen the benefits of like join up uh, join this club and you can get um free products offers discounts competitions etc and we take them through to a landing page which is just it's got the the form with all this information we need from them and then we just present them with all the list of the best like the top 10 offers probably they can get and they just go through and claim those and, and that's that's our kind of
0: one of the, one of the like fascinating things I've always found about your business model is so mm-hmm. you, you typically sell to, uh, what, well, like you, you were engaging with mothers and, and you said fathers as well, but so like people who are at that kind of like earlier stage of parenthood, do you find there's like a, a large churn of like, so when people kind of get to the, kind of the back ends of parenthood, they start to then drop out of that. And you are kind of constantly fulfilling that funnel or is did the people kind of stay and then I don't know, pass on deals or whatever to other.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good. That's a good question, and um, it's it a problem. Like, obviously, we can't. People are only parents. Like, we've been going for seven years, so some of the people that we signed up that had like one-year-olds at the start have now got an eight-year-old, and that's not what the kind of community is for. So, um, we have thought we have thought about developing like you know future like you know your toddler club, your school kid age club, but they're, they're not quite as catchy titles. Um. So we we do we we have a consistent like we we have fairly consistent um, acquisition numbers every month. So it just keeps it keeps feeding the it keeps feeding the our, the the community with with brand new intake. So we've always got a, a fairly set range of of people at the start of pregnancy, people at the end of like the um, having a, a a baby. You would say like eighteen months or whatever. Um, so we've we've always got a kind of moving conveyor belt, and there's people falling pregnant, you know, every month. So people keep joining our site.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't quite. There's a, this influx of lockdown babies. I, like I've got two kids, and like another baby is the least likely thing to come out of this lockdown in, yeah. in my opinion um so whenever the c-suite think about community-driven marketing sometimes the the loss of control um will kind of like scare them off that process what would you say to those shying away from it on that basis so like i've, I've had plenty of conversations with ceos or marketing directors where they're saying we want to own that that brand we're not comfortable putting it out there and allowing people to run with it what would you say to them
1: well, it's actually a pretty valid concern. Um, we're reluctant to give away complete control, like let the community go interact in a free-for-all, because we've seen the kind of toxic communities that that can break down into when you just let. It's a for a start, it's a huge moderation issue. You have to you have to put a lot of resource behind moderation if you just allow the community to just go un, unfettered into the into the wild. Um, so we we actually run a slightly more curated. Community with um, based around our, our Facebook page, we have we have um, regular, very popular um, like sessions called Ask the Fans, and so parents parents can write in uh, privately to us and suggest questions that like I really want to answer to this. I want to ask this community of like you know three million UK mums, how do you do this? How do you deal with this kind of problem? And then we we put it out a few times a week, and we get huge responses. Really, really valuable. Responses and that's one of our most <clears throat> popular like areas of the site from from the feedback we've got from from parents. So the interactions in the in the comments is where the kind of the real community kind of comes in, and even that can turn. You know, when you ask a question as divisive as breastfeeding versus bottle feeding, you're going to get a lot of <laughs> a lot of um, interesting discussions going on in the comments. So
0: how do you how do you guys moderate that like what what's your stance on it who who is making the call of that like is is alec like effectively your uh your zuckerberg making the call on what
1: she said and um no he's equally ginger um no um we, we kind of let it go because we create enough at the start of the process we can kind of let them discuss because it's all fair game like we're asking questions obviously we're gonna if there's anything like really inappropriate being said we'll we'll delete it and step in and say, well, give give that a rest. But once you ask a question about bottle and breastfeeding, for instance, you have to allow debate on it, you know? Um, So yeah, we're not the UK government, you have to allow debate on things.
0: (laughs) So, um, I'm I'm not gonna dig into that one. (laughs) Uh, So the the question that like everyone has around the stuff is how do you actually turn a community into revenue? Like how how do you like bridge one to the other?
1: Yeah. So as I said earlier, like it's, <clears throat> it's important that w- when you, well, for us, for us anyway, this is how it works for us. So we bring people on and we kind of onboard them because, because we, when we, when we advertise our community, we, we do it from a benefits driven perspective. So we say, these are the things you'll get when you join this community. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's all the, all the offers that we have from our brand. So We make sure that we put them, put these offers directly in front of them as they're coming through to join so on the joining process they've already seen all the best offers and of course we get we, we work as a performance marketing partner so we get paid on we get paid effectively per lease or per yep. um, per user who who agrees to share their details or or w- wants to claim something from from one of these brands so we, we kind of we we make sure to try and monetize up front and then and it's it's a win-win because the, the the parents get these these offers, discounts, et cetera. The brand gets their kind of lead and then the parent gets access to the community and everyone everyone wins there.
0: So presumably after seven years and five million people, you know a thing or two about kind of community building now. So if you were to start that process again, how would you do it? Um,
1: (laughs) That's a good question. It, it it was definitely it was it was definitely definitely tricky um, community building is is not is is not easy like i say could you have, you, have the, you always have the same problem about building up both sides so probably, i probably i might want to build up something but that didn't rely on a a second size. <laughs> um or, or at least have something a bit more off the shelf that you could perhaps offer them um so you don't so you don't need to build both up at once because that was that was a, that was a, the the hard part of it so yes I don't actually know what I do. I probably wouldn't.
0: So, all right. How, how if I reframe that? What's the biggest mistake you think you made in in growing that five million? Um,
1: we when we first started, well, yeah, for for the first few years, we weren't doing the bit I just discussed properly. The um, monetizing people early on the path, so we just kind of we, we let them just everyone just signed up, and our. our our software and our kind of site wasn't good enough to to get the, the benefits in front of these people well enough. So they were kind of coming in, they were getting a bit lost, interacting, and then maybe leaving without actually claiming any offers, which didn't generate us any revenue. So we a few years, maybe three years in we properly like re rejigged our whole entry path. And we could have done it earlier, much earlier. So we rejigged our whole entry path and it kind of it put these things further, further forward in, in the journey um, and that allowed us to, that really like basically doubled our revenue almost overnight. Um, and although it's great when you find something like that, it's like, well, we just doubled our revenue, but we just haven't been doing it for the last two years. So we just, we could have had more, um, but that allowed us, that allowed us the kind of profitability to, to, Put more into scaling and, and, and growing the growing the user base. What's the main KPI you focus on as a CMO? Uh, well, for, for me, it's uh, cost per new user. That's kind of well, We have we have we have two main um, levers in the business, which is cost per user and revenue per user. And obviously, the middle bit is the is the is the important bit. Um, but for, yeah, for me, my my job is. Um, cost per user, but also have to hit certain targets to generate, you know, enough users as well. So we have to hit certain numbers of users because our brand partners rely on, we've committed to supplying, you know, X thousand per month to these people. So we have to make sure we hit our volume quotas as well. So you've got
0: the, A, you have to keep building that community, you have to keep the cost down of building that community. And you also have to make sure that that community is driven enough to the various offers that you guys are committed to on the revenue model on the back end.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if it's if, if our if our marketing, like, if our acquisition marketing goes down the pan, and it's costing us a lot more to get users, we can't just turn it off and have a thing because we have these targets to hit for our partners. So we have to act fast. I mean, there's been times where I've just been I can't do anything else for like three, four or five days in a row, because I'm just I need to sort this out yesterday, you know. So I have to, I have to, I have to make sure we get, get it fixed. Sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> it's fun though. So, how did you originally get into marketing? Um, I'll try and condense the story as much as possible. I studied music at university. Um, played drums, and I didn't really. I just. I spent most of my time at university either playing drums or playing poker um this is when playing poker was easy to make money uh, back in like 2003 four I'm sure made um but then so when, when i finished uni i got um i, I, I didn't want to just try and get a career in music because i wasn't i mean you have to be like top 0.01 percent of people to really make it properly in music so i wasn't quite that good uh so i, was, I decided to online poker was booming at this time it was like 2006 it was not too long after like this, this guy won the World Series of Poker by qualifying for like one dollar on poker stars Then everyone thought they could do that. So online poker was huge back in like 2006. Uh, so I decided to try and get a job in poker. Uh, I was living up in Dundee at the time. I got, a, I put my CV forward to a, um, an agency, and they said, "Can you come down to London tomorrow for an interview?" And I was like, "Okay." I went down, went down on the Friday, um, had an interview in the afternoon, got offered the job. Can you start on Monday? Yeah, okay. So I went back up, came back down on Sunday, and then, and that was that was me. So I was in as a uh, online marketing executive for a poker company, and then I did several poker companies online gambling for about five six years. Then I went to work for like a, a, a kind of retail uh, company in marketing, and then I kind of decided to leave that, and um, <clears throat> that's where I kind of fun Finder started. So um. Well, you
0: are probably like the fifth person I know that has a poker based entry into the acquisition world. It's like, (laughs) what is it that drives that? Like it's, I know you've kind of gone to do acquisition for a poker company, which kind of makes sense, but is there, I I just don't, I don't see where the the, the link
1: is. Well, I guess it's a similar-ish mindset as in like you, you, it's uh, data driven, making like tactical decisions um i do a lot of like i guess critical thinking about things i think i think the skill sets probably overlap i'm talking about purely like like performance marketing like acquisition marketing rather than like like brand marketing or or kind of that kind of thing but the stuff that involves going into because there's a big um crossover between people that do for instance online poker and online trading and i see like if you're going in about a you know, any online ads platform you are gonna it's quite similar in terms of like lots of lots of numbers for around, lots of lots of stats lots of crunching numbers and stuff like that so I, I i i can definitely see the link there what excites you most about marketing growth at the moment um well i mean for me the best the best feeling um in, in, in marketing and it still doesn't really go away is just when you're launching new campaigns and you've you've just come up with a new angle or a new a new campaign you put together you've hit live waiting for it to get approved, and then it goes live, and then it's like, right, F5, 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 every five minutes, looking at stats, waiting to see that first conversion come in, then checking the CPA over the next, like, three, four, five hours, and then a lot of times it just doesn't work at all. But when it does work, when you get something that's, um, that's looking like it's working really well, and you know you can scale it, that's really, really exciting for me.
0: I, uh, I like, I absolutely agree, like, Waiting, the suspense of waiting for that first lead to come in after you have just set a campaign live, yeah. to actually seeing it come through, and then seeing the numbers starting to edge up. But the, the terrifying thing is when you've had like one or two leads come in, and then it plateaus for a little bit, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. So it looks like
1: <laughs> it good, and then turns out you just got lucky for the first two. And
0: <laughs> um, how are you planning to grow Fanfinders in 2021?
1: Um So we're, we're really going to be um, pushing on the U.S. side of things. We just hired a really good guy in the States um, who's kind of managing a lot of our kind of business development over there. Um, he just came on board, I think, in November, so he's really getting his feet on the table, and I think we should hope to grow a lot this year. And we've we've, we've been ramping up our user numbers in the U.S. as well, so we're pushing up to we're, – we're signing up over 100,000 a month in the U.S. now, users. So. Nice. So that's our kind of growth for, for 2021 yeah. is – mostly hinged on the on the US. So we've got two questions left. Mm-hmm. Big top
0: line question, what's next in growth? Like where should people people be focusing their efforts now?
1: Um I mean there's always it's there's, there's always new platforms coming out, isn't there? There's there's always a new platform that's that's big. I mean for me if, I mean at the moment I mean for me there's nothing nothing nothing's going to replace like sound I'm quite biased from a paid acquisition point of view so you know um on, on that side of things nothing's going to displace facebook ads or google ads anytime soon um although things like to be fair things like TikTok ads and, and snap ads are definitely they're a bit, bit more of a they're a different animal and the content you need to provide for them is is, is very different but they, they could grow into something pretty big um so yeah it's just it's always new platforms in terms of growth overall i mean that, who knows it's probably not going to be, I remember everyone keeps saying for ages like, oh, the voice search is the next big thing. It's like, come on. <laughs> come on, how much voice are you going to get from from that? I, I don't see that happening. Yeah.
0: So last question, I was, so when when I was given the kind of the intro to look at uh, for this, I was told that you have a countdown teapot. What's, what's the story behind that? Well, Sam,
1: yeah, Sam told me about this. I, I got it down from the shelf. <laughs> A little uh, so I've, I've always been a big you know, Countdown fan. That's how I learned uh, letters and numbers with my mom when I was like three, watching Countdown on <laughs> with the great Richard Whiteley. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always kind of always kind of loved loved that show. That's how I kind of got into like words and numbers. Um, and then yeah, I just went, I went, I decided to apply to go on the show in like 2013. Uh, got accepted the the um so you have to go for a, a audition type process i was a bit nervous when i got there i was like oh god how good is everyone going to be and like they give you like it's basically 10 people in a room and they, and they simulate the the rounds they say right here's nine letters make a word so they did it i've like, got an eight that's quite good i was like went around the room and everyone was like four four three four five I was like, oh god, okay, okay, they should be okay uh so yeah i got on the show and um I won like my, I had two goals. My first goal was I needed to get a countdown teapot, which you get for winning like one show. So I had to get that. Um and then I really wanted to be an champ, which is winning eight, eight in a row, and then you stop. Um so I got my teapot, but I only I won three episodes and then I came up against someone ridiculously good, um, who I almost beat, but not quite. And she could <laughs> a second overall. And I was I think if I hadn't come up against her and anyone else, I, I would have would have got to be not the champ, which was, you know, one of my main ambitions, but maybe I'll do it again in 10 You're years. Still, still running? You can do a rerun? Yeah, they, they tend to not allow you... Actually, the person, the person that, that beat me, um, she first went on about 20 years ago, and she didn't get a teapot. So she's been stewing for 20 years, like revising, I'm going to get <laughs> a teapot. And it would have been in, relatively enjoyable to stop her a second time, if I didn't like her very much. But um... <laughs> Does the teapot get used? Uh, the teapot gets used quite strictly for drinking Southern Comfort and lemonade out of uh, parties with my friends. Um, when, it's, a, it's a ridiculous thing like I had this group of friends back at university when we were playing poker for whatever reason um, Southern Comfort was our kind of token drink of choice. Um, so when at the kind of countdown watching party I had when, when it was on, god this makes me sound really cool the uh, countdown watching party we had, but we um decided to fill it with some comfort lemonade and just like pour it into everyone's mouths and stuff. Um so that's kind of just a that's just remained a, a ritual that we do every now and then. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Is that the uh the Fan finders campaign launch uh celebration now?
1: Yeah, when we when we get when we get a lead in the first five minutes, it's uh get the soco out.
0: Neil, it's always a pleasure and thanks for being up for doing the six sessions with me. Uh, if anybody wants to follow up with you, how do you want people to connect?
1: Um they can add me on LinkedIn, just uh, you'll find me as Neil Stevenson. Um, yeah, it's probably the best way and then you can get in touch from there.
0: And you've got a growing marketing team. Should people go and see if they can find a, a career path with you guys? Is there a page on the website?
1: It's um, a good question I have to ask Sam. Uh, there, is, there, is some, there is some contact section on the site which says, I mean, we're always interested in speaking to, to good, good people. Um, I just, yeah, I actually just hired somebody yesterday, or well, who started yesterday um but we, yeah we're looking for good people so if you're if this sounds like your, your kind of thing if you fancy some southern comfort out of a teapot then you know, get in touch it's pretty high up there on the
0: benefits list
1: yeah yeah, it's above um a holiday <laughs>
0: uh thanks for joining us everybody next week we have paul Erndon, someone who knows how to grow an agency both from within and without hopefully see you all then cheers neil
1: thanks rich